The views expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individuals being interviewed and do not necessarily represent those of the Greater Winter Haven Chamber of Commerce. You're listening to It's Happening in the Haven. I'm your host, Katie Worthington Decker. Each episode, I get the privilege to speak to the amazing people taking Winter Haven and its surrounding Central Florida area to the next level. We're future-focused, celebrating our entrepreneurial history and leveraging it for our bright future ahead. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for It's Happening in the Haven. I'm your host, Katie Worthington-Decker, President and CEO of the Greater Winter Haven Chamber of Commerce, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Rachel Lawrence, Marketing Coordinator for the Chamber. Hi there. This podcast is produced by the Winter Haven Chamber, but made possible through a phenomenal partnership with Dolphin Image Studios. Our producer from Dolphin Image Studios is Nate. Hey, Nate, tell our listeners a little bit about the studio. All right. Dolphin Image Studios is a uh, full production film and television studio. We offer a 3,000 square foot soundstage, psych wall, LED wall, and a podcast studio. If you want to find us, just go to facebook.com backslash Dolphin Image Studios. On today's podcast, we will hear from the very first program director for the Florida State University College of Medicine Family Medicine Residency Program right here in Winter Haven. That first program director is Dr. Nate Falk. Dr. Falk will speak to us about the relationship between Winter Haven Hospital and FSU and the importance of bringing the medical residency program to Winter Haven for our community. We will also hear from Andrew Wiggins, the Senior Director of Political Affairs and Coalitions Advocacy with the Florida Chamber of Commerce. He'll give us a little bit of the debrief to the primary election, as well as what to look forward to in the upcoming November election. This podcast would not be possible without our Chamber Investor Businesses stepping up to support us. We'd like to thank one of our podcast presenting sponsors, Meeks Real Estate. Winter Haven was rated by Realtor.com as our number one hottest real estate market. Do you need help navigating your home search? Meeks Real Estate LLC is owned and operated by broker Realtor Carla Meeks. Carla has over 14 years of experience in residential and commercial real estate, as well as her GRI designation. Her office is located at 1510 North Broadway Avenue in Bartow, but Carla is actively involved in all of Polk County. Call or text Carla at any time. She would love to help you buy, sell, build, and invest in Central Florida. 863-604-9287 or visit CarlaMeeksRealtor.com. That's C-A-R-L-A-M-E-E-K-S Realtor.com. Today, we are so glad to have with us the founding program director of the new Florida State University College of Medicine residency program at BayCare Health Systems, Dr. Nate Falk. He began his role in July 2018, and as you will hear, we are extremely lucky for it. Dr. Falk, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Yeah, so um, one of the questions that often comes up is how do you end up in Florida from the University of Nebraska? Um, and actually, I grew up in Minneapolis um, and ended up in Nebraska as part of the military. So 
Uh, when my wife went active duty in the Air Force, uh, I went down to Nebraska to start med school down there uh, and um, did med school and family medicine residency there. Uh, from there, took a brief uh, trip to Washington, D.C., and did a sports medicine fellowship at the Naval Hospital in Bethesda before going back to Omaha on active duty for another four years. Uh, so between my wife and I, we each spent uh, 11 years uh, in the Air Force, oh, wow. uh, active duty or uh, reserves um, mm. each. And once we were done, we decided, you know, for the first time in about 15 years, we could actually decide where we wanted to live. And so... <laughs> My brother had recently moved down to Orlando to get out of the snow in Minneapolis mm -hmm. after working uh, for Target Corporation up, up in Canada in Minneapolis. And so we decided it was a good time to escape the snow and come try something different. So ended up down in Orlando as well. Mm -hmm. So Yeah. So you moved down and then our football coach moved back up to Nebraska. So. <laughs> yes. Yes. It, you know, yeah, he did. And actually, uh, the day that he moved from UCF uh, up, I was actually seeing sports medicine patients uh, at the clinic that I was at in uh, Winter Park. And I wore my Nebraska alumni socks. Oh, and, did you really? And one of the patients saw it and <laughs> they're like, you know, really? I'm like, well, I couldn't help myself. He's like, yeah, you could have. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That was an intentional jabbing right there. It, it was. It, it, yeah, we, we were really upset when he left, but it's worked out, you know, but we were very upset. So I think escaping the snow is definitely a common denominator. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Dr. Falk, can you tell us about the need for the medicine residency program and how the program was established? Yeah. So uh, this program actually has sort of been in the works um, for probably 15 years, um, the, the hospital, Winter Haven Hospital, has seen the need to grow primary care in the area uh, for you know over a decade. And this is kind of the culmination of a lot of work by a lot of people at Winter Haven Hospital, eventually Baycare Health System in coordination with FSU. And a lot of the reason uh, that this residency program was established is the need for primary care in the local area. Mm -hmm. Uh, Florida, if you look statistically across the board, um, has some of the poorest health outcomes in the country. And a lot of that comes down to lack of access to care and lack of access to primary care, especially in a county like Polk County. So we talk about nationally number of primary care physicians per 100,000 individuals. And it's somewhere in the mid 80s nationally. And we consider that a real shortfall when it comes to truly moving uh, the quality of care upwards in the United States. Mm -hmm. And it gets even worse in Florida where we're down kind of in the upper 70s to 80. But they're so geographically maldistributed that places like Tampa, Orlando, Jacksonville, Miami, they might have 105. Polk County at one point was down to 50 to 51 per 100,000 for primary wow, care. Wow, wow, And so you end up with a location where you have people who have insurance. You have people that don't have insurance. You have people that have uh, regular commercial insurance, Medicaid, Medicare. It doesn't really matter. The access for all groups uh, was not good. And it still, to this day, has not improved a whole lot since those statistics were done maybe four or five years ago. And so our goal really is to come in and to help recruit to grow family medicine and primary care physicians here in the local area to make a dent in overall health care and access. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. I mean, I, I used to, in a former life, be a part of physician recruiting for Bond Clinic. 
And, um, you know, I, I was the one, um, I was in my mid-20s at the time, and I was the one that would take them on a tour of the community and drive them to the hospital and get that tour. And it was always interesting to speak to the physicians and, you know, sell them on the community. Um, and oftentimes it was selling their spouse or, or, or husband or girlfriend or whatever it might be on the community. Um, but the whole philosophy of growing them locally is very important because you've got that time period while they're in their program to make them fall in love with the area. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And we experienced that a little bit. My wife's from Washington, D.C. originally growing up. And when I drove down for my initial interview, I drove down from Orlando through Lake Alford and down. I'm like, Ooh, Where am this, I? <laughs> this is going to be a hard sell. You know, I'm, I'm kind of used to it a little bit, although I grew up mainly in Minneapolis, but my family's from rural South Dakota. Um, and so, but you're right. It is, it, from a resident standpoint, recruiting, it's uh, been pretty strong. Mm-hmm. Faculty recruiting has been a different issue. Mm-hmm. Um, that's That's been a much tougher sell, as, as you probably know from Bond, trying to get mm-hmm. established, you know, experienced folks into the area can, can be a little bit more difficult. Mm-hmm. So. Absolutely. But you guys have fallen in love with it, haven't you? We have, yeah. We actually we moved to Winter Haven. Um, I did the commute for just a little bit until the kids finished a school year. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, after the end of uh, school year, I guess it would be two years ago now, we moved down and live in Winter Haven. And we love it, love our neighborhood. Kids yeah. are settled in well to school and uh, and enjoying all their friends. So. so you are obviously a medical doctor as well, but you're also the program director for um, for the residency program. What does that entail in that position? Yeah, so the program director is the one that essentially has complete oversight and responsibility for just about every aspect of the program. In family medicine in particular, that includes running the family medicine practice or the family medicine clinic. Uh, We opened a brand new family medicine clinic at BayCare just specifically to support the residency program. And so um, I have oversight um, as we started to build that. Um, Also, all the accreditation um, processes. So we are accredited uh, by the ACGME, who's the Graduate Medical Education um, Accrediting Mm -hmm. Body. So we had to put together our application, which ended up being ballpark 150-page application Mm -hmm. for accreditation, have our site visit, design all the rotations and curricula, uh, for all the residents, do all the recruiting. Um, and so as the program director, you know, it's a combination of administrative duties and marketing and clinical operations and seeing patients and kind of a, a little bit of everything. So so you mentioned that this is something that uh, was really in the works or thought for about the last 15 years. But even once, um, you know, um, FSU President Thrasher came down and we had the big uh, press conference. It still took time from that point to get this program off the ground. So what were some of the challenges that we faced when we were trying to get this program off the ground? Yeah, so I started uh, in mid to late 2018. And at that point, you kind of hit the ground running with all aspects. And so we literally had to do everything mostly from scratch. Mm-hmm. We built a brand new clinic. Uh, the doors were not even open yet. Construction wasn't complete. So finishing the final designs of the residency clinic because it has to be set up differently than a regular primary care office. Mm-hmm. Um, ordering supplies uh, for different procedures and things like that. Um, 
recruiting faculty. Um, that was one of our biggest challenges, um, coming up with faculty contracts and comp plans and things that hadn't, hadn't been done yet uh, either. Um, while FSU has experience in residency, uh, Baycare you know, has just one other program associated with USF over in Clearwater, and they've been around for 20, 25 years. So Baycare hasn't had any experience in starting a program from the ground up either because it was not Baycare at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it literally was the challenge of kind of starting every single thing de novo um, you know, and obviously we were able to tap into the resources at FSU and, um, you know, utilize some, some resources within, within Baycare as well. Um, but, uh, you know, definitely some challenges. I think one of the biggest ones was and still kind of is with some of the faculty r- recruiting side of things. Um, we're actively looking for a psychologist. Uh, we've been recruiting for about a year. Winter Haven Hospital has been recruiting for about 18 months for a mm-hmm. psychologist as well. Yeah. Um, you know, just some of those positions that we we really need to add to help support the residency and support the mental health of our patients and and things, um, in addition to the faculty uh, resident or faculty uh, recruiting that we're doing right now for physician faculty, um, it's an active process as well. So, yeah, Baycare certainly has um, heightened mental health as a, as a primary, um, growth area, um, certainly in all of Florida, but for the Winter Haven community. So Dr. Falk, what was the response when the program was first introduced? So the response has actually been overwhelmingly positive. Um, you know, we had the hospital gala, I guess, is it a year or two ago? I'm trying to remember when the last <laughs> one we had. It all together. It, it all blends together, especially when things get canceled because of COVID. Right. So, um, and you know, I got introduced as the program director um, at that event. Um, and other than Sheriff Grady, um, it, you know, got the got the biggest applause there just for the efforts and the things that we're doing to support the community. I mean, no one's going to get more applause than. Than no, sheriff. or raise more money <laughs> for raise, the Winter Haven Hospital money. Foundation. No, no but um, it, you know, but we've had um, you know overwhelming support from the physicians in the community, people wanting to be a part of the the teaching faculty, um, you know, groups looking to recruit the residents when they graduate, which isn't going to be for another three years, but you know, everybody is sort of wanting to to recruit. Um, and you know the the patients have been very positive and very responsive and and love the idea uh, generally of coming in and being a patient in the clinic and you know they they help to teach as much as as we do in terms of you know giving us and giving them feedback on communication skills and um, interaction and that kind of stuff so it's it's been really positive overall so. As part of the program, you mentioned that you did open a, a family health clinic as part of the program. Can you talk a little bit about the services that that uh, clinic provides? And if someone wants to become a patient at that clinic, how do they go about that? Yeah. So we opened a new clinic. Uh, it's the Winter Haven Family Health Center. It's part of Baycare Medical Group. Um, it's at 1201 First Street South. It's in the, the suite center. Um, we have half of it, and our uh, Baycare's primary or mental health clinic, sorry, has the other half of the building. Um, and uh, unlike what you might see in some uh, private practice primary care offices, 
we have a lot of services that we do offer um, literally from age uh, negative because we do prenatal care <laughs> and uh, obstetrics um, all the way up to I think our oldest patient we have right now is 99 years of age. Um, so we are also one of the primary sites for the unassigned, uh, newborns from the women's hospital. So if you don't have a pediatrician picked out, um, we're one of the places that you can come to. So we're seeing a lot of newborns. Um, I'm a sports medicine doctor by trade. So non-surgical orthopedics, concussions, uh, injections, arthritis, that kind of stuff. Um, pediatrics, regular adult medicine. Um, we also have a pharmacist, a clinical pharmacist mm -hmm. on our faculty um, who sees a number of uh, chronic disease management and complex medical patients, geriatrics. Um, so kind of one-stop shopping. Um, like I said, the one thing we're most excited about is uh, one of our faculty, um, that's uh, our newest faculty, does uh, OB, so it's going over the women's hospital delivering babies. That's We've great. got prenatal patients um, right now waiting for for their time to, to mm -hmm. come to deliver. So we're really trying to build that up uh, for the residents so that they can kind of experience everything. So we do procedures, all the women's health procedures and uh, sports medicine procedures and skin biopsies and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so. that is that is incredibly needed as someone who just had a baby. Um, <laughs> and it seemed like there was a wave of, of kind of uh, long-term OBGYNs that decided they weren't going to practice OB, the OB side of their practice anymore uh, in this community. And, you know, that was a big hit, I think, uh, to the community in terms of that. So that is a wonderful addition that we've got that here in the community now. That's great. Dr. Falk, what would you say some of your goals for both this program and for the residents would be? Yeah, so our probably biggest overarching goal is that we want to train and recruit uh, folks to stay in the area. So, you know, we have a, a goal that we would love for at least half of our graduates every year, ideally more than that, but at least half to stay in Polk County when they're done. Because um, we know, you know, the number one factor as to where someone practices afterwards is where they've trained. So, and uh, we think our first group here has got a, a really strong chance of that. They've moved in and are really loving the area. So, um, you know, we want the residents, obviously, to be well-trained, to be um, compassionate, patient-centered physicians when they graduate and be able to take care of essentially anyone um, that walks through their door and uh, get them the care that they need. So. What a lot of our listeners may not know about is the recruitment process for residents. It's not like you just interview a bunch of people and you hire the people that you want. It's a much more complicated process than that. So explain that process a little bit. Yeah. So that process is, um, it, it's really kind of weird, actually. Uh, <laughs> so it, it, we're just about to actually hit that, um, our second um, recruiting season. Mm -hmm. um, this one's obviously going to be even weirder because of COVID and virtual interviews and things. But the way that it generally works is the, the graduating students um, around the country, and in fact, around the world in many cases, um, apply to residency programs through an electronic residency application system, or ARIS, as, um, as we call it. They do that roughly September 1st. They submit their applications, and they can apply to five programs or 50 mm. if they want. Um, some of them will apply to more than that, depending on the specialty, and they literally apply to, I would like to do family medicine in Winter Haven or neurosurgery in Orlando or 
or whatever, and they pick those programs. So their applications then come to the programs. Uh, last year, we got about 300 applications. Mm. Uh, we're expecting probably three to four to five times that many this year mm. um, because we were a little bit late in the in the cycle last year. So mm. people actually had to go back into the system and specifically request to push us their applications. But we go through, we review the applications, and then based off of things like board scores and grades and letters of recommendation, personal statements and things, we will interview uh, generally 75 to possibly 100 people um, for our six positions. Um, And then once you interview them, then you submit what's called your rank list. And so you take... Whoever you choose that has um, that you've interviewed, and you rank them literally one through 50, 60, and then the students do the same thing. They take all the programs that they have applied to, and they will rank them also one through however many they applied. Mm-hmm. And then what happens is it goes into the National Residency Match Program computer database, and basically it mashes those two lists together and spits out the match list. And so... It generally, it, preference is always given to the applicant, and so if they choose somewhere, you know, is their top choice and you have them, you know, ranked towards the top, they generally, the students generally get their choice because they want, you know, we want the students and the residents to be happy where they, they mm-hmm. come and we can be a little bit more flexible. So, mm-hmm. um, and that's always uh, released in March. So uh, in March, you always find out on match day. It's mm-hmm. the, the big day that everybody literally opens their envelope and, you uh, Traditionally, you'd open your envelope on a stage in front of all your classes, classmates, and family members. It's a little bit of a high pressure. You open this envelope and you pull out, you know, the next, you know, your future essentially in front of everybody. Right. Wow. So this year was different because of the virtual. Right. We had virtual match days and things and um, interview season. Like I said, this year is going to be different because it's all going to be virtual interviews. Mm-hmm. And that makes it a little bit more complicated, particularly someplace like Winter Haven, where you really, you want someone who's going to be a good community fit. Right. And you want someone who's going to come in and see Winter Haven, feel like it's going to be a place that they can call home, and that's going to be a good match for you. You know, we, our faculty group, our group of residents, um, you know, I always say I take my job very seriously and myself not so much. And I think that's kind of the way that... You know, we're a pretty laid back group um, providing, you know, great care, but in a, you know, in a really patient centered, comforting, holistic manner. And if someone's not that way, Mm -hmm. they're not going to be a good fit. And it's just going to be so much more difficult to tell that doing, you know, Zoom interviews or whatever we end up with. Yeah. Yeah. It's that recruitment process sounds like a mashup between sorority recruitment and the NFL draft. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Actually, our match day video last year from FSU, Dean Fogarty, uh, they did it just like it was an it was the NFL draft. Did they really? They did. Yeah, it was it it was it was actually well done. It was was quite. Do you have like music on to. Yeah. The pressure's on. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yep. So is there anything else you would like our listeners to know about the medicine residency program or any other initiatives of the program? Um, You know, I think one of the things is just as you see our physicians around, as you see the residents, um, you know, they'll be around the community. They'll be doing community service, community events, that kind of stuff. They're excited to answer any questions, tell you about their experiences. 
and their goals for their careers. Um, you know, they're living right here in the community. One of them actually lives in my neighborhood and, you know, some of them live throughout the community in different condos and apartments and things. So get to know them, get to know, uh, you know, what they're doing here, help us recruit them to stay in the area and get them plugged in. Um, we're trying to uh, get them involved in a lot of outreach as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, right now we're doing some partnerships with places like the Haley Center um, and working with the hospital to get the Haley Center potentially a little bit more space to expand their mission mm-hmm. and have the residents and the faculty do some volunteering there so we can serve more more patients in that way. Um we do value community service so much so that part of their graduation requirement is they actually have to do two volunteer events um, and they've got a volunteer at a sporting event as well to help cover. Um, so we're setting up some opportunities there. Um, and then our, our latest two things I think that uh, the, the audience might be interested in is we're trying to uh, bring more mental health in the community. Um, so we are finalizing an agreement with uh, FIT um, in Melbourne, Florida Institute of Technology, mm-hmm. to bring over their uh, psychology postdoc or their psychology interns, um, their doctoral interns. Wow! Um, so they're going to start rotating um, in our clinic to do um, kind of the psychology of chronic disease management, mm-hmm. um, along with uh, working on doing some outreach, uh, working over in the ED, working on some neuropsychology. Uh, to try and, again, train here with the hopes that they might have some interest in staying in the community. So. Wow, that's incredible. And that is uh, every service that you've listed that you are providing is um, so needed in this community. And so we are very, very blessed to have um, not just the um, FSU College of Medicine right here in Winter Haven, but specifically you, um, and because you are you. And it is funny because um, I remember when I, I first met you, um, I was very formal, you know, Dr. Falk, Dr. Falk. And you're like, seriously, just call me Nate. <laughs> yes, please. Um, and that is, uh, you know, it, it just speaks to your personality, but the personality you bring to all the of the physicians and staff at the clinic. Um, and so we want to thank you so much for, for taking the time, for really um, integrating yourself in the community. You've gone through the Chamber's Leadership Winter Haven program, um, which is a great way to kind of learn, learn about the community as, as quickly as possible. Um, but we want to thank you for everything that you are providing for our community. And thank you for coming on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of local businesses in the Winter Haven community, including our presenting sponsor, Fred Simons Insurance Agency. That's right. There's a new farmer's insurance agent in your neighborhood. Meet Fred Simons with the Fred Simons Insurance Agency located at 325 Avenue C Southwest, Winter Haven, Florida. As the road you travel changes, so can your insurance needs. Give Fred Simons a call today at 863-259-1826 so he can help you as you assess whether you're ready for the journey ahead. That's Farmers Insurance Agent Fred Simons at 863-259-1826. We know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. We are farmers. Underwritten by Farmers, Truck Fire Insurance Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state.
November 3rd is Election Day across the United States, and there is much more for Floridians to consider on the ballot than just the presidential race. At this point, there are six constitutional amendment questions on the ballot that, if passed, would be added to the Florida State Constitution. In this episode, we are lucky to have with us Andrew Wiggins, Senior Director of Political Affairs and Coalitions Advocacy with the Florida Chamber of Commerce. I had the opportunity to speak with Andrew over Zoom last week to help us dive into these proposed amendments. It's important to note that the Winter Haven Chamber has not yet taken a position on any of the proposed amendments, but the Florida Chamber, an independent organization from our own, has taken some positions, as you will hear Andrew discuss. We now join the Zoom interview in progress. If you get to the ballot box and you haven't done your research, there's going to be some questions on there that you have to answer that you should have probably done your research on. And yeah. those are the state constitutional mm -hmm. amendments. And so I wanted to take a little bit of time to go through what each of those amendments are on the ballot yeah. and then ask you to put on your hat as a political scientist and say, okay, what people that are for this amendment yeah. are for it here is why and people that are against the amendment are against it and here is why so if you want to start and just kind of go through you know one through six on what those amendments are i'd really appreciate it absolutely and i think one thing to know about constitutional amendments there is no constitutional amendment that is citizen driven they're all pushed by money there, there's money behind each of them when i look to see what happens with you know in these the ones that are on the ballot this time they average about it averages about five million dollars to get a bill about just on the ballot from gathering petitions to things like that. Um, the legislature can put some on as well, and there's two that are cleanups this time. But it's, uh, but the, when you think of a constitutional amendment, it's never, hey, let's get together a group and let's see if we can gather signatures all over, all over the state. We're an extremely large state. Let me think about this. You guys are in the Tampa Bay media market, correct? Correct, yes. The, there are more voters in the Tampa Bay media market than there are in Colorado or Iowa. And we're not, we're not talking about Montana or Wyoming or Alaska. We're talking about Colorado, Denver you know, places where we think of as, as good sized states. So there are so many voters in our states. We're made, we're five or six states in one. Two of our media markets, Tampa Bay and Orlando, are the most expensive media markets in the country, depending on which election, just because you're where swing voters live. Mm -hmm. And so you're, you're the most important, you know, you, you're the most important area of the state when it comes to a statewide election. So we could, we could walk, walk through the amendments and see what they are. The first one is citizenship required to vote. What this is Amendment One. What it does, it changes one word in the Constitution to only, um, to to shall or, or must to only, meaning you 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 can only be a citizen to vote. So this is a group being run by a national group that it, citizenship is a big a big deal for them, and they're going around the country putting it on putting in constitutions. It's an election season, so in many ways this will help President Trump or some of the groups believe it will to sort of turn out voters that really care about immigration, and so that's why this one's on the ballot. People that are against it, you've got some immigration people, there'll be no money spent on this. It's just, it's not as, you know, it's not as vibrant as some of the other ones down ballot, but um, it's, it, Amendment 1 will um, require you to be a citizen to vote. Um, you know, there's a fear that the courts may rule in the future, so they want to try to solidify our Constitution to, to sort of protect that moving forward. When you look at this one, it, they've spent almost $3 million just to get this one on the ballot. So, um, you know, there's- And realistically, $3 million, but it, in practical terms does not do anything to necessarily change correct uh what is happening yeah uh, this is what we're neutral because it does nothing to the constitution all right? right it's just it's absolutely it's it's not needed but it's but it's there so it's basically saying uh instead of it saying 
that you must be a citizen mm -hmm. to vote, it'll change it to say that only a citizen can That's vote. correct, that's correct. Okay. We move on to Amendment 2. Amendment 2 is extremely important. All right, this is the minimum wage amendment, okay? This is one that John Morgan has spent $5 million of his own, $5 million of his own more, um, wealth to put this on the ballot. And it's, it's a big deal. It's a big deal for us. It's a big deal for the business community. What it would do, it would raise Florida's minimum wage. It would start at 10 and move it up to 15 and then adjust thereafter, making us the first state in the country to, co to codify um, a, a, a minimum wage um, at $15 an hour. What it, you know, when we look at what does it actually do, in 2021, the minimum wage would immediately jump to 10. Then in 2022, it jumped to 11. It moves, every year it would jump a dollar till it gets to 15, but it doesn't stop there. Thereafter, it would adjust every single year moving forward to inflation. So you, could, you would see it jump to, jump about a dollar every two years, maybe three years uh, moving forward. So it would just keep going and going and going. And there are a lot of really implications that are concerning on this. The reason they want it is they believe that, that, that a, a fair wage is needed. That's what they would argue, okay? What we would argue is it actually hurts people on minimum wage. It stops them from going back for education. We've also looked around the country, like places like Seattle, where they've enacted like a $15 minimum wage. What it's done to businesses, the businesses that have closed, more, but, but more, more um, importantly, we see um, people who rents rent always adjust to um, income. So we've seen in Seattle and other places that have enacted this, rents go up, the price of living goes up. Then we have to think about nationally. If the federal government doesn't um, sort of react to it or, or have their own, then um, your ability to receive federal assistance is, 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 is stopped. Could be childcare, it could be food stamps, it could be, you know, daycare help. So there, it has a lot of... Um, unintended consequences that could hurt people. And we're, you know, it's one that we're, the Florida Chamber is one of the, was the first national um, statewide organization to come out against it. We're running a campaign against it and will be. You'll be hearing a lot from us in, um, as we get closer to the election day of what, just how bad this is for Florida's economy. That's you know, prior to our economy, we, there were, I, I read in a report that said over the next five years, you could see up to more than a half million jobs lost due to the, the increase in minimum wage. What does that mean, mean in COVID? You know, it could be even more at, at, you know, as we keep moving that way. So it's, it's just extremely important to us and the business community um, moving forward. Is it normal to have a specific minimum wage outlined in your constitution, your state constitution? It is in many states, uh, and, and, and it's been put there over the years by groups that don't think the federal one moves fast enough. We've had one in Florida for years, um, but it, which is ahead of the national, the, the national minimum wage. So we see it in a lot of states that have done that because they don't believe the, a lot of them don't believe that the, the state, the federal one moves, it, it is increased at a fast enough rate to sort of help people. When we do studies to see the number of people that work full time on the minimum wage, it's about 2% or less. So it's not these great numbers you think, but it, you know, it, it's, it, it's mostly young people is what it is. There are others, of course, of course, there's some people that are not that, you know, but, but it's, it's mostly, um, you know, it, it, it we, we don't see the you know, minimum wage. We see the minimum wage as a limiting factor rather than, you know, something that's that, that, that helps workers. And amendment three. Oh, amendment three, all voters vote in primary elections. This one is being funded by Mike Fernandez, a, a, a billionaire in Miami. He's put in set almost $7 million to get this one on the ballot. What this would do is it's being framed as an open primary. It's a little different. It's sort of the um, jungle primary we see in, in Louisiana or California or Washington State where we would all run for office at the same time. Republicans, Democrats, independents, and the top two would advance to the general. Me, you know, hope the, the, the desire on their side is to make sure that um, 
you know, they believe it would moderate um, a, a, an electorate. So you don't get as, as strong a partisan candidates, right? Not no right wing candidates or left wing candidates, you know, conservatives or progressives. And, it, you know, moving forward, the interesting note is if this had been in the law in 2018, the two candidates for governor we would have voted for in November would have been Ron DeSantis and Adam Putnam. They received the most votes in a primary. So it also has the ability, or not the ability, but the potential to exclude um, major party candidates from the general election. So um, um, that that's what that's what's seen by the proponents. We've got some we've got some people who are against it that believe one, it takes a right away from parties to determine who their nominee is. There's a report released um, last ten days that says it actually would it, it would affect minority representation as you get more people involved into a primary. It would be you know it would creates more uh, a more um, wider um, ele um, ele elected officials. So it's it's just something that is, is that is on the ballot that is really concerning to a lot of people. Um, this is one that we've come out against just because we don't think it's needed. You know, it, you know, when we've seen in states where it's been enacted, it doesn't increase voter participation by maybe one or two points. Um, you know, and it costs it just it costs the state more. So that, that's all it is. So um, just a couple questions with that. So um, right now, obviously, we're in a closed primary state. So unless there is a, uh, a race, for example, in Polk County, there was a race for county commission that was between two Republicans, but there were no Democrats in the race. So that was on our primary ballot. And right. it essentially was an open primary race. Regardless of your party affiliation, you could vote on that particular race. Um, if we were to go to an open primary, this format of an open mm -hmm. primary, which is what is on the, um, the constitutional amendment, mm -hmm. let's say there are six candidates that are vying for a seat. Um, regardless of what percentage of the votes they get, the top two of that six would move. So there's not a requirement anymore that you have to receive 50% of no, you, the vote you, you, at that I'm, point. I'm sorry, I, I probably should have said that. It, you would have to get 50, if you got 50% or more, you would you would move, you, you would be elected there forward. Gotcha, you okay. Like if I got 55, let's say we were all running a race and you got 55% and I got, 30 and other people got 20s and you know all the way down mm -hmm. you would be elected because you would have to you know as long as you reach that 50 percent threshold okay obviously if there's six people in a race that's going to be difficult to get 50 the first time around yeah, anyway yes. but um but so then the top two so out of that mm -hmm. amount the top two would move on to then the, the general yeah, it's essentially the general election because it's general it, it would take the, the first ballot is at the primary the second ballot would be at the general okay okay so, you know, you mentioned the growth of NPAs in the mm -hmm. state. So whether they're truly no party affiliation or they're one of the um, other uh, political parties um, that are an option for you to choose when you register to vote. Yeah. If this uh, form of open primary, you know, may or may not be the best form, depending on which side mm -hmm. you sit on, how do you think we do address the um, the growth of NPAs in the state? Because we are about a third, a third, a third now yeah. in terms of new registrations. That, that, or is that, that too philosophical for you today? It's a philosophical question, but it's <laughs> one that's important. Like one, you know, people choose to join NPA because they don't want to be a part of a party. Right. You know, and there's an argument, there's a strong argument that then, you know, that the Republicans should be able to say who their nominee is. Democrats should be able to say who their nominee is. But at the same time, when you, you know, I, you know, I buy into those arguments, but you're also seeing right now 3.7 million voters who are just who, who can't, who can't vote in a primary. So, but it's also their choice to vote. You know, one thing we know about partisans, people are Republican or Democrats, they vote at higher rates. You know, when we look at this last general election in 2018, essentially 70% of Republicans turned out. 60% of, of, um, 
Democrats stood out, and then we get to the we get to the NPAs, less than fifty percent turnout. So we, you know, the one you know, it's it's not like participation increases. You know, it's you know, in, in MPAs for the most part aren't as bought into voting as, as Republicans and Democrats. They haven't picked a side because they feel like they're free agents. And honestly, both sides turn them off a little bit. You know, maybe I'm a fiscal conservative and a social moderate, or maybe it's the other way around. You know, it's it's just, it's tough, you know, and it just it's still motivating someone to turn out to vote. And, and you know, at the end of the day, um, we know that Republicans are voted higher rates because they're more engaged. You know, they, they, they're, they're more quick to on the issues than an MPA is. Okay, so I think we're on Amendment 4. Okay, Amendment 4 is the voter approval of constitutional amendments. This one has had about $5 million spent as well. So um, it was modified, that was done in kind. It, what this would do was change our system of putting amendments on the Constitution from having to pass once to having to pass twice. So it's, you know, two election cycles. So you, if, if one was on the amendment, the ballot this time, it would have to be passed this time as well as in 2020 to become law. Because in many ways, you know, when we think about Constitution, our U.S. Constitution has been amended 27 times in the history of our country over 200 years. The Florida Constitution has been amended hundreds of times. We put, we voted for 11 amendments this last, in 2018 alone, all right? And so it's, you know, it, the amendatory process is there for people to do. One of the problems is a lot of groups have found the inability to get something done legislatively, and so they go to the amendatory process to do it, to get something done that they can't, that, that, they, that our representative, our, our Republican small R form of government, you know, designed by our founders for us to vote for people to represent us. You know, Sam Killebrew represents you in Tallahassee, okay? He represents your, what he believes are your best interests. You know, sometimes, you know, his beliefs come in the fact, but he, at the end of the day, is responsible to the voters, you know, of Polk County. So, it, you know, it's, it, you know, it's sort of how we were framed. And so this goes away from, from it because they're not getting the, consequent, the, the um, accomplishments they want. They're finding another way to do it and climbing up our constitution. For crying out loud, we have an, an amendment in our constitution that protects pregnant pigs. Okay, it's an amendment in the Constitution. You know, we've got one about vaping, indoor vaping, which we just passed. Okay, it's, you know, there's so many things in there that are, you know, in many ways make, don't make sense because they wouldn't get passed by a, a legislature would say, this is, why are we even voting on this? Okay, it just, we need to worry about creating jobs, you know, making our schools better, you know, m making it so that Florida is a better place to live. So, so did you guys take a position on uh, Amendment 4? We, we're supportive of it because we, we, we are generally supportive of only allowing constitutional amendments that cannot be done legislatively. And, and so many of the amendments today are done ones that can absolutely be done legislative. They don't have to be put in, they don't have to be codified in our constitution. They could be done by a general bill that's done in the legislature by a senator or a representative. Mm -hmm. So this, this amendment essentially just uh, creates a higher threshold to be yes. able to be added to the constitution. Right. It makes them pass it twice is what it right. does. It's essentially it's a pass it twice. And then um, there are two additional uh, amendments uh, that have yes. been added um, since the last time we spoke. And what are those? Amendment five, it, it extends Save Our Homes, um, which you know, allows you to have portability, um, you know, with, with, with your, home, your, um, your homestead exemption. That is one that was, that was, that was placed in. It, it extends it an additional amount of time, another, another several years. So this is one we haven't taken a position on. This was just done by the legislature. It's one that, you know, you know, it's, it's simply cleaning the Constitution up or keeping keeping something in in in, in law that's that's been in law. Okay, and then what uh, is the sixth one? The sixth one is the same thing. It's it's it's, it's allowing tax discounts for your for, for your property taxes for um for any surviving widow of a permanent wounded combat veteran. So you know this is allowing you know like like you know if you know the, uh, 
I would say husband, you could also be a wife, you know what I mean? Man or woman who was wounded in combat and, and, and serving our country to have, to have a property tax exemption moving forward for their surviving spouse. Okay, so, okay. Yeah, and we haven't taken a stance on this one either, so. And that one was also put on um, through the legislature, I believe. Yes, yes, and yes. Um, actually was a bill uh, put forth by our representative, Sam Killebrew, yes. from my understanding, yes. Yeah, I know, I, know Sam, I know Sam's very passionate about, you know, things like that, so yes. Yeah, vets and pets. That's what. Yeah, vets and pets are what he loves. <laughs> um, well, thank you for that analysis. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, that's. Um, I I think people have a hard time, especially there's so much um, uh, that gets talked about leading up to the general election, there and are. you think you're going in prepared, and then you get there, and there's at the end of the ballot, there's all these questions, yes. and not just with statewide questions, but there'll also be some local questions on there oh. as well. So we our ballot is long. Our ballot yes. will be long. That's why I encourage people to vote by mail because yeah. then you can sit down and try to investigate to see what it is. Don't listen to just your newspapers because they they have a slant as well. You know, sort of investigate things yourself. See what I read. Sometimes it's reading what it actually does. All right. right. And exactly. you know, a lot of them try to sound as flowery and great as possible in their ballot title or in what they do. But you got to think about things, what the implications are. You'll be hearing a lot from us about Amendment 2 just because we believe it's dangerous for our economy. Mm -hmm. um, you'll hear from others about um, the open primary and some others about just to make, you know, sort of protecting our constitution by making it tougher to amend um, and, you know, making it so, you know, creating as a sacred document as it is. You know, we think of the U.S. Constitution as this sacred, sacred document, but our constitution here is like, it's, it's nothing. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's only 50 years old, but it's, it's still, you know, it's the laws we govern Florida by. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for giving us some insight into the constitutional amendments on the ballot and for joining us on the podcast today. Absolutely. Thank you, Katie. With kids, emergencies can happen anytime. Advent Health's 24-hour day, seven-day-a-week, pediatric-friendly emergency departments are designed with your little ones in mind. Staffed by board-certified emergency medicine providers and nurses that are specially trained to create a child-friendly experience. Advent Health Heart of Florida is located at 40100 US Highway 27 in Davenport, and Advent Health Four Corners ER is located at 17430 Bali Boulevard in Winter Garden. For more information, visit adventhealthforchildren.com forward slash ER. Well, that's it for another episode of It's Happening in the Haven. We'd like to thank our guests for today's podcast, Dr. Nate Falk with the Florida State University College of Medicine Residency Program at Baycare Health Systems, and Andrew Wiggins, Senior Director for Political Affairs and Coalitions Advocacy at the Florida Chamber of Commerce. Be sure to tune in every week to It's Happening in the Haven, available on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. To learn more about Winter Haven and the Chamber, visit winterhavenchamber.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We hoped you learned a little bit about our community today and even more about the people who are shaping its future. After all, 
No true community exists without the people who form it. Winter Haven. Some call it a haven. We call it home. <laughs>